Welcome to Finding Certainty with your host and U.S. Army veteran, Patrick Lang. Over the next hour, you'll learn from Patrick and his expert guests how to attract more certainty into your business and your life. Now, here is your host, Patrick Lang. Welcome to Finding Certainty. If you're a uh, previous listener, I, I appreciate your patronage. If you've just stumbled across the show, maybe this is your first time. Welcome to uh, Finding Certainty. Uh, my name is Patrick Lang. I'm the host of Finding Certainty. And, you know, I started this show because I wanted to analyze the various ways in which we find, create, and even develop more certainty in our lives. I was originally a guest on the show with uh, Frank Hellring, the host of Business Buzz. And when we were done, he said, you know, you'd be pretty good at this. Have you ever considered being a radio show host? And I said, I hadn't, but that sounds intriguing. He said, if I could set up a, an interview for you, a meeting with the general manager, uh, would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. Well, I met Robert Cialino that day, who's my favorite people in the world. He's just extraordinary. But he and I were supposed to have a 30-minute conversation. We ended up talking for almost two hours. And what we talked about was, among other things, who I am and where I'm from, kind of my background as an entrepreneur. I've been in sales for 38 years. I own three different companies. I have uh, uh, a lot of different insights, right? A lot of experience. I was in the military for several years. I'm a father of five. I, I served a two-year mission for my church in Italy. Uh, I was recruited heavily by the FBI came two days away from accepting um, an appointment and decided it was not a fit for me. I felt a really strong impression that it was not the right move. So anyway, over the last 55 years, 38 of those in business and sales, I've gained a lot of perspectives. And I've learned from some extraordinary mentors and from experiences both positive and negative. Uh, and joyful and painful, as they say, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the uh, experience of mortality, I guess you could say. Well, as I was speaking with Robert that day, he asked me, what would the three pillars of your show be? And I said, number one, I believe that for us to um, progress, for us to succeed, whether, whether that's in business, in in, in marriage or relationships and parenting it, you know, in so many different ways for us to succeed, we have to be willing to evolve. We have to be willing to be open to input, open to new relationships and technologies and insights. That's why mentorship is so important. That's why remembering we have two ears and one mouth is so important, both as salespeople, but even just as humans. I said, secondly, I believe that we have to we have to be willing to work together. We have to look past our differences and link arms and agree to disagree. Right? We agree on a lot more than we disagree on. We agree that we want our businesses strong, our our nonprofits thriving. We want our kids safe in school, clean drinking water, no potholes in the road safety and security and, and opportunity. I mean, the list goes on and on. We agree on all of those things. We disagree on maybe 5%. And so that was the second pillar of finding certainty that we have to, one, be willing to change, and two, we have to be willing to work together. And those topics, in fact, lead us to our topic of conversation for today. See, I mentioned a while back how back in June of 2023, I had a guest who wasn't able to log on at the last minute. And with no notice, I had to do a monologue. And I ended up talking about how to find certainty in our lives. You can go back and find that replay if you'd like. I share three ways to find and create more certainty in our lives. I enjoyed it so much, I decided to do another monologue in November right around Thanksgiving, about the week after Thanksgiving, and I focused on gratitude. And out of that, I guess that was the, the catalyst, uh, or the catalyst. Those two episodes encouraged me to do more monologues 
to not just interview guests, which I do on most occasions, but to plan out and execute some additional monologues, as I'm calling them, or just one-man shows. I've actually planned out 36 months, the next three years of monologues. I'm going to do the first Friday of each month. It's alphabetical. I've already got the topics planned. They may change a little bit, but I'll try to at least keep them alphabetical. And uh, today, as the title suggests, is about accountability. A is for accountability. Well, accountability is one of my favorite topics. I think it's one of the most important topics when it comes to creating more certainty in our lives or more, more of whatever we're trying to accomplish, whether that's more success or more love or better health, whatever the case might be, without accountability, we have nothing. We'll certainly not accomplish what we're hoping to in our quest. So I wanted to talk a little bit about it today. I want to share some of my experiences, some of the lessons I've learned, a couple of the books that I've read that I really appreciate, uh, a little bit of news, a little bit of history, and some insights into this topic that is so important in our lives. So what is accountability? Well, we've all heard of it. I think we're familiar with the word or the phrase, the, the, the topic. It's when we take ownership, right? It's when we take responsibility. We, we choose, and it's a very important piece of it. It's not forced upon us. It's not dictated, but we choose to own the scenario. And that means you, know, you don't have to be the owner of a company to take ownership in that company. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I've got an example or an experience from my life that illustrates that. But it's really important that we take ownership of our life. That is, in my opinion, the definition of accountability. So as we look at this topic, this broad topic of accountability, you know, how do we how do we define it and how do we implement it? How do we benefit from it in our own lives? Because we can have quote unquote um, delegation, rules, expectation. We can have these things imposed upon us, right? We all have jobs. We have bosses. We've had supervisors or, or leaders in the military or even parents, right, who dictate to us what we are supposed to do. And what's interesting is most of us chafe against that, right? We have to go along with it, with uh, work maybe, or in the military, even as kids with our parents. But isn't it true we chafe against it a little bit? Even if we comply, we really don't, we don't love it, right? We don't agree. And so rules, control, expectation, delegation, those are not necessarily, and I don't believe that those are what lead to accountability. They may lead to uh, compliance. They may lead to actually getting things done because we have to or because we want to get paid because our parents are going to ground us if we don't. <laughs> but those don't lead to accountability because accountability comes from within. Accountability is when we take responsibility. We take it. We choose it. We opt to, or we decide that it's worth owning that scenario, that situation, that that challenge. The accountability takes place and plays into a lot of areas of our life. It's not just um, in work. It's in everything. It takes place in our relationships. Are we accountable? Do we hold ourselves? Do we take ownership of that relationship? Or are we just going through the motions and hoping that it works? Do we, as parents, take accountability? Are our kids latchkey kids going home, kind of managing themselves and running their own lives? And, 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 or do they have boundaries? Do they have jobs? Do they have accountability? They may need rules and expectation and delegation to learn accountability to help them. Uh, develop it, right? Two, expecting it. Three, allowing them and showing them and helping them to learn it. 
Because accountability, I don't believe, is something that necessarily comes naturally to us. I had to learn it by trial and error. <laughs> Most of us do. We have uh, we have maybe uh, good parents or teachers or mentors, somebody who's modeling it for us and teaching us how to become accountable. But we still have to learn it. We have to learn it through experience. We have to learn it through trial and error. What's interesting about accountability is, is while it sounds like maybe a daunting task or a daunting hurdle or lesson to learn, those who have come to learn it have come to see that it is actually the easiest, most liberating, most freeing thing you could imagine. It is what creates, I believe, maturity. It's what creates self-empowerment. It's what creates character. And so how do we get there? Right? If we're supposed to learn accountability and become more accountable, how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, we, we learn from others. Right? I, talk, I keep talking about parents and mentorship and, and so forth and so on. Um, it helps if we have someone modeling this principle force. Some of us have great parents and mentors. Some of us don't. And I've talked in the past about how much I value and I appreciate the mentors that I've had. But I also talked about how we need to go out and find them if we don't have them. Maybe you had a terrible, challenging upbringing. Maybe you, you're an orphan, a foster child, a, a parent. You know, you have parents, but they're not engaged or they're not positive influences in your life. You can let that control you. You can be angry and resentful and bitter and even and dysfunctional. You can even go on to go off the deep end because of those parents. Or you can become accountable. You can choose your way. You can choose the path that you trod and the character that you become. And again, you're going to keep hearing me say this throughout this episode. You're going to hear that word choice. See, one of the most important principles in life, in, in eternity, in, in everything, is the freedom to choose. I believe many who, whether you're Christian, Muslim, Jewish, many of us believe we're here on earth, one, to gain a body, just things we couldn't accomplish without a physical body, and but two, it was to gain experience. And if we don't gain experience through choice, how else do we gain it? It's interesting because you'll find that most highly successful entrepreneurs, billionaires out there, people like Sir Richard Branson and, and uh, so forth and so on, and the list goes on, but they, many of them talk about the failures that they went through to get to where they are. Many of them have gone bankrupt along the path to their success. And as you hear their stories, it would suggest that they continued to fail, but they failed forward. I love that saying. I heard that years ago when I was very young, that if you're going to fail, fail forward. Don't fall backward. Don't stop your progression. Don't, don't curl up while you're learning accountability, fell forward, continue to progress, learn from your experiences, learn from your, learn from your trials and your mistakes, learn from your choices. There's three ways we can look at experiences. We can look at 2020 hindsight. We look back on things and we can see the lessons we learned and the, the, the experiences we had, the, the culture or the, or the uh, character that we've gained. We can also, though, learn while we're going through experiences. We can have mid-side, as I call it. And it's interesting because if we stop and pause and ask ourselves, okay, look at uh, what I'm going through is hard. Okay, this is, a, this is a challenge. This is difficult. Maybe it's painful. What can I learn while I'm going through this? How can I make it better? How can I make it easier? Who can I turn to for help? 
If we'll do that while we're going through experiences and in effect, taking accountability rather than shaking our fists at the heavens or being angry or frustrated or paralyzed. But if we can maybe step back a step or two from the experience and say, what can I do to both learn from this and to survive it and not just survive, but thrive? What can I do while I'm going through this challenge to take accountability? In other words, to take ownership. Even when things have been imposed upon this or, or upon us, and this is a very important principle, okay? We don't always choose our outcomes. Bad things happen, right? We're abandoned, we're hurt, we're betrayed. I've had all of those in my life. I've death, divorce, abandonment, uh, scan, I had a had over $200,000 embezzled from me once by a, by a scammer, a Swiss banker. It's a whole other story, but our own choice or our own doing, but things that were imposed upon us. If we step back and start asking those questions, what can I learn? How can I survive this and not just survive, but thrive? How can I get through this? And maybe even turn it into a positive. Those are great questions to ask if you're trying to create and develop more certainty in your life. We have to be open to input, to feedback. It's one of the most important principles to develop accountability in our lives is we have to remember that we have two ears and one mouth, as I said earlier. We have to be willing to receive input. I'm talking a little bit about giving ourselves input, right? About stepping back and asking questions and giving ourselves feedback and encouragement and reminders, helping us gain and remain and, and maintain perspective. That's a very important principle when it comes to developing more accountability. But that being said, we also have to be open to input from others. I had experience just, just uh, yesterday with my right hand and my left hand, Victoria Foster and Joe McCauley, where they gave me feedback on something. And I was so grateful for the input that I had, even though it was hard to hear. It, it, it was frustrating. It, I was, I was, I was, it, it hurt to hear that I had done something, said something in a way that, that had confused them and hurt them. And it was never my intention but I was so appreciative of the feedback because without feedback and input, without, and without our being willing to take that feedback and to grow from it, how can we ever have growth? We need correction, improvement. We need those, those uh, adjustments, just like when we're driving down the road. Our hands are never sitting on the steering wheel, just not moving, right? They're constantly adjusting right and left, keeping us going in the direction we want to go. We need to give ourselves that adjustment and we need it from others. A flight traveling across country, they say that the pilots are constantly, or the autopilot is constantly adjusting the course. Because if not, they're going to end up in a completely different city. You have to continue to make those adjustments continue to step back and analyze where are we doing or where are we going how are we doing and when you do you'll get to where you want to go we're up against our first break already i hope uh, you're learning some uh, good insights and there's lots more to come so don't go away this is patrick lang on finding certainty thanks for being with me this morning and i will be right back Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Certainty Management can help create more certainty in your life with our deep discount health insurance options, even for 1099s, part-time employees, volunteers, and more. Pay less to protect yourself, your loved ones, and your team. Call 888-684-3122 for a free quote today. 
That's 888-684-3122. Visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty, T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. If you're a nonprofit in need of funding, we can help. Certainty Management is a cost reduction firm that also helps churches, schools, sports teams, and other nonprofits raise unlimited zero-cost funding. Best of all, you don't have to sell anything or ask for donations. Call 888-684-3122 to learn more today. That's 888-684-3122. Visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty, T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Finding Certainty with Patrick Lang. Have a question for Patrick or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show with Patrick. Welcome back to Finding Certainty. You know, it's interesting because I've I've toyed with the idea or I've at least commented on it before about how I maybe should have called this show creating certainty. Finding certainty has a better ring. I love the the sound of it, the feel of it, but but it does sound a little bit passive. And accountability or even certainty in our lives is anything but a passive exercise. It's an exercise that requires effort and growth and stretching and it requires as I as I was saying, evolution. We have to be willing to change. As a leader, when we're open to input, we're open to the feedback of our colleagues, our, our customers, and, and our mentors and more, even our vendors, it's empowering. When we are open to input, several incredible things happen. Number one, obviously, we learn. They're not always correct. We don't always agree. It's it's sometimes it's feedback that wasn't helpful and wasn't necessary, but many times it is. And if nothing else, it forces us to step back a little, as I was saying, and have perspective. Secondly, one of the great benefits about it is it earns trust. It earns respect. If you will give your colleagues, your counterparts, your your customers, if you will give them your attention and what they say matters, if it's important, if you give it the due respect that it deserves, you are in trust, you are in respect, and you are in long-term relationships. I don't care what that relationship is. It can be a husband and wife. It can be parents and children. It can be business partners. But if you don't have that mutual respect you're probably not going to make it very far. You're certainly not going to be able to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. As a leader, we need to lead by example. We need to model accountability. We need to model having this this um, this a, a, a willingness and the ability and, and, and openness to change, to growth. One of the worst things of any leader, whether it's a business owner, a parent, a politician, is that they think they have all the answers. They think they know it. They know it all. I mean, we 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 all know know it alls, right? And it's one of the most just disillusioning characteristics that a person can have. It's one of the things that I I struggle with about our our political leaders. They. They think they know it all, or even if they don't think it, they act like it. And they, they, they're, they're, it's very rare that they are willing to apologize or willing to admit wrong or fault. But do you realize how empowering it is to do so? How much respect and trust and admiration you earn when you do? Now, that's not why you should do it. You should do it because it's the right thing to do. It's going to, it's going to gain you insights and respect and and and, uh, and camaraderie and commitment but 
if that's the if, if that's just the reason you do it, the dividends and the fruits of that effort pay tenfold. Kind of goes along with um, the topic of delegation, right? It, some for some of us, it's hard to delegate. I struggle with delegation sometimes. Many of us as leaders do, but when we delegate to others, we're taking accountability, admitting that we can't do it all ourselves, right? Admitting we need help, admitting there's other talent in the room. Amazing things happen out of it. We get more done. It's oftentimes done better or faster at least, and we earn trust in those with whom we work. I think it's, a, it's an interesting parallel between delegation and accountability. There's a lot of there's a lot of parallels and crossover there. One of the things about accountability as a leader is um, I think it's it's equally important that there is transparency, that we're honest, right? As we teach our kids and we're trying to help them learn integrity, and you know, it's it, it, not just because it's important. It's an important characteristic. It's going to serve them well throughout their life. It's going to help make them into a person, a a, a contributing member of society that people can trust and rely on. But it's also, in my opinion, it is strategic. It's important. It's something that they need to understand will earn them great dividends. If they're honest, if they're transparent, if they take accountability, they admit when they're wrong. They don't pass the buck or point fingers. They they don't become a victim when they do when they do those things that help them exhibit learn demonstrate and and become accountable it earns them enormous rewards opportunities trust friendship love and so much more it's going to benefit them in their personal lives. It's going to benefit them in their professional lives. And it's frustrating when we see our politicians and others that are not transparent. They're not honest. You know, we've been working with a company over the last several months. It's our uh, banking partner. They have a social impact banking platform, an extraordinary bank card that can double your buying power. Uh, you can learn about it on our website, certaintyteam.com. It's called Transact Card. But they've been in startup mode for the last about a year, a little bit over a year. And they're combining franchising and banking and direct sales and all these challenging industries in and of themselves into one amazing platform or ecosystem. And, you know, one of the things is as much as there have been growing pains and hurdles and and we've been beta testing things and going through this process. One of the things that I've really appreciated about them is their transparency. They don't make excuses. They don't pass the buck. Even when there's been delays and frustrations, they own them. There's that word again, ownership, right? The, the founder, Peter Rancy, is a, a great example to me of somebody who is accountable, who admits when they're wrong, apologizes when he needs to explains the strategy moving forward and continually instills confidence in us as his franchisees, his, his affiliates. Um, I love that. I think it's a really important principle for a leader to be transparent, to be humble and to be, um, to be accountable in that way. It's interesting. It's, it's, it's truly freeing. It's even cathartic. And I encourage you to try it. If you don't, if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you if you've tried the other option, you know the, the other approach that that uh, so many do to to hide behind things, to not take ownership, to to make excuses, to do the opposite of of taking accountability, you will find that rather than being limiting or embarrassing or shameful, rather than it damaging your reputation or or uh, detracting from your credibility, it is freeing. It is empowering, and it's inspiring to others. It is a cathartic experience. Transactcard has been a great example of that. You know, I, I've worked for other employers in the past. Uh, I remember an insurance company I worked for years ago. I won't say their name, but 
They did just the opposite. They weren't transparent about it, anything. It was behind closed doors. It was, uh, we were always guessing what was going on. It, it was excuses and, and de- as an employee. And we eventually left. If politicians, parents, significant others, leaders, business owners, if they understood this principle of transparency, ownership, humility, i.e. accountability, amazing things would happen in both our society as well as our relationships. I, uh, I watched a movie the other night with my wife. Some of you have probably seen it. It's with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman. It's called Australia. They remade it into a series called Far Away Downs. And it's about, um, I won't go into the whole story, but a, a big theme through the story is the, it was the exercise that the Australian government did for many, many years of taking Aboriginal children from their families and trying to assimilate them or trying to breed, as they said in the movie, breed the black out of them. What was it? And it was an atrocious um, operation. It went on for many, many years. Over 100,000 children, Aboriginal children, many of those biracial children, they were what in the movie they refer to them as creamies, right? They weren't black, they weren't white, they were parents or children of these these white ranchers and landowners and, and, and farmers and so forth with the Aboriginal women. And so they didn't fit. They weren't black, they weren't white, they, they were kind of a lost generation. They eventually refer to these children as the stolen generation because literally the Australian government took them and sent them to church, to missions or out to different islands or to live with other families because they felt like they could assimilate them into the society. Whatever the reasoning was, it just went on and it was, an, it was a travesty for many, many years. It's a big theme within this book, within this movie and story. And they do a masterful job of showing the, uh, the, the opposite side of, of, of uh, characters who took accountability and loved these kids and worked against the grain, worked against the system. Well, I bring this up because you may, you may or may not know this, but in 2008, the Australian Prime Minister issued an apology to the stolen generation. I mean, this, this practice went on until the 1970s, if you can imagine. But in 2008, Kevin Rudd, then Prime Minister of Australia, issued a public apology. Now, there were those who felt like it wasn't going to be enough. It wasn't, it was too late. It was, it was, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't nearly the recompense that was needed, but it was an important step and an important, I believe, um, gesture and action of accountability. Better late than never, as they say. And what was interesting is the the results that started growing or following or coming out of this what seems like maybe a small gesture. Too too little, too late, right? But what happened was they issued a they created a national sorry day. They started talking about it. They've the, uh, Australia has gone on to make additional reparations and changes. And, and uh, although that was just one act and uh, an apology that was long overdue and many, in many people's minds, it was not, it wasn't enough, more was needed, but it became a spark that lit a flame that ignited a fire that is now growing into conversation, action, and changes in a national landscape, both in perspective and in response. And so I love that example, right? It was an example of a politician doing the opposite of what most politicians seem to do, and that was being accountable, was taking ownership. It wasn't him. Maybe it was some of his ancestors, but 
but there are thousands, thousands and thousands of Aboriginal descendants, over a third of all Aboriginal descendants in Australia today can tie their lineage back to this stolen generation. And so it impacts a lot of people. And yet this accountability spark that Kevin Redd initiated, I believe it was healing, but more importantly, it was activating, it was engaging. And that's what happens with accountability so often. It creates a spark, creates a domino effect or a ripple effect in yourself and in those around you. And good things come from it. I talked about how um, when I first started finding certainty, uh, I had two goals. One, I believe we have to evolve to find certainty in our lives, but I also believe we have to link arms. And when you see bipartisan efforts, when you see politicians crossing the aisle and working together or different parties joining on in collective efforts, that is when extraordinary things begin to happen. You know, I, I was asked to write a book um, oh, a couple of years ago now called Mission Matters, um, Volume 8. I was asked to write a chapter in the book, and I wrote my chapter on accountability. And in that, in that chapter, I talked about one of my favorite books, a book called The Oz Principle. If you're listening to the YouTube version of this uh, of this broadcast, I'll tell you a little bit about that book during the break here. We're going to go to our second break real quick, second and last break. And I'll tell you a little bit about that chapter and what I learned from that book. When I come back, we're going to continue the conversation. I'll tell you this hour always flies by fast, but uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. And thanks for being here on Finding Certainty. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. If you're a nonprofit in need of funding, we can help. Certainty Management is a cost reduction firm that also helps churches, schools, sports teams, and other nonprofits raise unlimited zero cost funding. Best of all, you don't have to sell anything or ask for donations. Call 888 684 3122 to learn more today. That's 888 684 3122. Visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty, T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. Certainty Management can help create more certainty in your life with our deep discount health insurance options, even for 1099s, part-time employees, volunteers, and more. Pay less to protect yourself, your loved ones, and your team. Call 888-684-3122 for a free quote today. That's 888-684-3122. Visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty, T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Finding Certainty with Patrick Lang. Have a question for Patrick or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show with Patrick. Well, welcome back to Finding Certainty. We're having a great conversation this morning about one of my favorite topics, and that topic is accountability. If you're watching the YouTube version of the video, I was sharing a little bit about a chapter I wrote in a book called Mission Matters. And I wrote on this topic of accountability. I shared a story from one of my favorite books, a book called The Oz Principle. And I won't go through all of that now. If you'd like to hear it, go look at the YouTube version. You can find it on our Certainty Management YouTube channel. You can hear that story. But the key principle in that book is that the characters, which are the lion, the scarecrow, 
the Tin Man and Dorothy, the characters from The Wizard of Oz, come to learn that they have it within them to solve their own problems. Rather than trying to get the wizard to do it, who turned out to be a shyster anyway, they have it within them to be accountable and make it happen. Dorothy even finds she's been wearing the red slippers the entire book that could take her home. They were literally attached to her feet. Well, the, one of the most powerful lessons I learned from that book is they is when they they said to keep asking the question, "What else can I do?" They, they talk about living above the line or below the line. When you when you are accountable, you're above the line. You keep asking, "What else can I do?" Sometimes it's, "I need help." One of the most empowering things that we can do to be accountable is to ask for help to be open to that input, to delegate, to, to be humble versus arrogant, to be collaborative rather than controlling. But when we live above the line, as the Oz principal authors refer to it, if we ask that question, what else can I do? We, we go through four steps to accountability. The first is to see the problem, the challenge, to see the issue. The second is to own it. The third is to solve it, oftentimes with a team, oftentimes with input or feedback from a mentor, colleagues, employees, whoever that might be, but to see it, own it, and solve it, and then, of course, to do it. That's the fourth step. It doesn't does us no good to analyze it and figure out a solution if we sit on our laurels and don't do anything about it. It is an empowering exercise, and I speak from experience. Many years ago, I was the sales director for a remodeling firm in Portland, Oregon, named LeafGuard Northwest. And when I came into the company, they uh, they were struggling. They they were a small office out of sixty five offices nationwide. They uh, they were doing about three and a half million dollars total sales a year, which they didn't feel like it was nearly what they could be doing. I had an extraordinary general manager by the name of Roy Bletko, and he taught us the power of taking ownership. He, he taught us the strength of, or, and, and, and the influence and the, the effectiveness of accountability. We taught our team, our installers, and our sales team how to be accountable to each other, how to work together as a team. We implemented a, a, a model, a principle, or a methodology that we learned from the Covey Leadership Group called the Four Disciplines of Execution. And one of the most memorable pieces of it was that every week as a team, we would make a commitment to two or three things that we would do that week that we felt would most move the dial forward. And we committed to them in public and report. And this simple step sounds simple, right? Sounds maybe even juvenile. These are what, this is what I'm going to do and I commit to do it. It was transformational because in effect, we were publicly committing to and promising and declaring that we would be accountable that week to those three things. Now, part of the principle of, uh, these four disciplines of execution. You can look them up on YouTube, just search for it. But part of the principle is focusing in on, on those few things rather than trying to focus on too many things. That's a, a key to accountability is don't bite off more than you can chew, right? Make sure that you're being selective. Anyway, we did that. And just those, and two things really, uh, committing each week to be accountable and then we tracked our progress. We actually wrote it down and kept it on the wall. I don't think you can improve what you don't measure. It changed the entire company. That combined with this Oz principle uh, reminders and these lessons of taking ownership. We, we recognized employees for ownership each, each month. We gave out plaques. We, we highlighted and, and rewarded employees who exhibited an ownership mindset. And I'll tell you what we did is we took that company from three and a half million to the next year, seven and a half million, the next year, 16.8 million, 
to 20 million. And finally, I mean, the most common question we got from corporate is, what in the hell are you guys doing out there? <laughs> they eventually promoted my boss to be the VP of, of uh, sales, and they promoted me to be the national sales trainer. And we traveled all over the country teaching what we had done. We went on to become the number one branch in the country out of 65 offices. We were selling more than Seattle and Chicago, number two and number three combined more often than not. And I firmly believe to this day that it all came down to accountability. See, we, if we want to become a more successful person, a more successful parent, a leader, a politician, if you're out there listening, <laughs> we need to be able to not only become accountable, humble, teachable, and transparent, we need to model it for those around us, those who look to us for leadership. We also have to help and teach and expect those we work with to do the same. I think it needs to be a requirement. Self-imposed accountability is one thing, but we also have to not just model it, but um, moderate it. We have to expect it. We have to teach it. We have to set up systems and, and, and processes, contests and other things like that, like we did at LeafGuard, that help others engage in it. Because what's interesting is, at first it seems hard. It seems uh, awkward and, and, and uncomfortable, right? But as I said before, it is freeing. And our team at LeafGuard experienced that. Once they started taking more ownership and accountability, asking that question, what else can we do? And, and not pointing fingers and seeing it, owning it, solving it, doing it. When they started to do that, in effect, when they started becoming accountable as individuals and a team, that is when miracles started to happen. I mean, these, these installers and salespeople who in many respects hated each other, they learned to work together and accomplish things they never would have imagined. I think there's a lesson there that could be learned on a national scale in marriages and relationships and parents and that are struggling. Obviously, we have an epidemic divorce rate in the political landscape between Democrats and Republicans that can learn to, to work together, to be accountable personally and be accountable to each other, transparent and honest, to link arms. And say, our goals are more important than ourselves. I think that is the epitome of being accountable. And it is a story or a model. It's an example that can literally not just change the nation and the world, but it will change us as individuals, as mankind forever. Don't know that we'll ever get there. But if more and more people would model it and show how freeing and empowering and invigorating it is, I believe that that would happen. One of my goals with my children, I have uh, three boys and two girls, but one of my goals with my kids was always to help them learn emotional intelligence. I'm interviewing a, a friend of mine, Jay Levin, who is the founder of a nonprofit. And it's, it's a really amazing organization. It's called Equip Our Kids. He's, I'm actually going to be interviewing him in, uh, in February. It's going to be my, kind of my birthday uh, episode, February 23rd. We're going to be talking about his organization, what he's doing, because they're teaching kids emotional intelligence, which is key to accountability. It's key to success. Well, one of my goals with my kids has always been to, to try to teach them this principle and teach them how to be accountable. Because I believe that in the process, it would teach them how to be successful. It would also teach them confidence. See, we go through a, a confidence cycle, as I call it, from fear and uncertainty to hope, to belief, to faith, to knowledge, to finally perfect knowledge. 
we go through this process, the more accountable we are, the more transparent, open to input, honest. The more we do these things, the more confident we'll become. I remember when my son Anderson was just a little boy, four or five years old, he wanted to take his Happy Meal toy back and exchange it. He didn't like it. His brother got something else. And I said, okay, go do it. No, no, I want you to do it, Dad. No, I said, if you want to exchange your toy, you need to go ask them for it. He was shorter than the counter. I remember him walking up, holding his hand up. They couldn't even see him. And he said, I want to exchange my, I want a new uh, Happy Meal toy. I was trying to teach him accountability, right? Ownership. And today he is a confident Division One collegiate athlete who is just doing amazing things. All the kids are, and I'm very proud of them. The more we work together, the more we take ownership, I believe amazing things can happen. We have a program at our company called the Preventative Healthcare Initiative, and it's a great example of our politicians, of Congress, working together, crossing the aisle to be accountable for some of the mistakes they've made. This program can help any employee receive up to $1,500 worth of free benefits. It puts five to $600 in FICA tax credit back in an employer's pocket. It's a bipartisan program designed to help companies become more profitable, employees become more healthy in hopes of offsetting future Medicare costs. And it costs nothing to the employer. It's a great example of our government being accountable and trying to prepare for a better future. We don't always agree. Sometimes we have to choose to, we have to agree to disagree. But just like I was saying, I got, I took feedback from my right hand and left hand, Victoria and Jill this week. I really appreciated it. And out of it, we get, we grew stronger, conscientious collaboration. That's the key to accountability. Hope you've enjoyed the show today. Thanks for joining me. I'm back next week. Every week we have an amazing guest. First Friday of every month, you're going to hear from me. But I think you'll enjoy some of the insights I'll share with you. I've been very blessed to learn some lessons and have mentors that have taught me amazing things like how to be accountable. Thanks for being here on Finding Certainty. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Finding Certainty. We hope you've gained some more insight into how to create more certainty in your own business or nonprofit. Join us next week for another taste of the certainty experience. Until then, we wish you greater certainty in all that you do.